Hello, and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This is week five of our current series, Flying High. The topic of today's message is to price this right. We hope you enjoy the word. Man, good morning. How's everybody doing? Go ahead and slap somebody a high five and ask them, are you ready? Ask somebody else, are you ready? I hope you are ready this morning because, boy, do I have a word for you. Now, before we get started, I want everybody to join me and say this with me. Say, I love love Pastor Jose. Jose. Remember you said it. Remember you said it. Listen, the word of God is a beautiful thing. It's truth. But, you know, the word of God also not only teaches us, not only instructs us, but it also corrects us, and it also strengthens us. And so today I pray that you've come here with an open heart, an open mind, and that you are ready to hear what God's Word has to say. I'm not here to give you my opinion. I'm not here uh, to share with you my own personal thoughts. I want to simply point you to the Word of God. Is that all right? Go ahead and tell somebody it's all right. Now remember you said it. Remember you said it, and remember you said you love me, right? So over the last couple of weeks, we've been on a series entitled Flying High. And what we've been looking at is simply this, that God has a vision for our lives, that God wants us to get a hold of what he specifically created us for. The scripture says that before the foundations of the earth, he knew you, he called you by name. Now, I know that for some of us who are Bible scholars here, uh, or you know the Bible you know better than I do, and Praise God, you're hired for the job if you want it. Um, I know that uh, in, in that particular portion of Scripture, it's God speaking to a man named Jeremiah. But I want you to keep in mind that whatever's written in the Bible is not just about people. It's about you and I. And God has called you to something specific. He's created you for a specific purpose and to live on purpose. But to get there, to realize that we've got to learn what God says and see what God sees about our lives. Is that all right? And so over the last several weeks, we've been uh, springboarding from the life of a man named uh, Nehemiah in the Bible. And what we saw over the last couple of weeks is that Nehemiah was a man who came up under the empire of Babylon. Um, And these, he was with the Jewish uh, people, the Israelites, who came to be taken captive when Babylon came and stormed upon Jerusalem and destroyed its walls, and not simply destroyed its walls, but destroyed, really, the hearts of the people. They, they became so discouraged, so disheartened, that these people actually turned away from God. And this guy, Nehemiah, actually kind of had it good at surface level, if you think about it. He rose up from the ranks of the people to become the cupbearer of Uh, the king, this guy named Artaxerxes. Now, that might sound like a real cool thing, you know, to rise above everybody else and to be in the king's palace. But his job was literally to take a drink of everything that the king was about to drink before he did in case it was poison. So he would croak first, right? So that, 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 that was his job. But the thing about it is this, that Nehemiah had kind of, he, 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 he lived in the kingdom, he served the king, and it was supposed to be his joy to do so on a day-in, day-out basis. And then one day his brother Hanani shows up and tells him about the destruction in Israel. 
he tells them that there's no longer worship unto God. He recounts to him how the city lies in ruins and in rubble. And what, what, was, what was even more alarming was that the people accepted it. Now, lest we disassociate ourselves from that, we too can do that if you think about it. We can easily settle in in life into something that isn't what God has for us. It can be relationships. It can be mindsets. Listen, it can be beliefs that contradict the word of God. We got to be careful that we don't take the grace of God in vain. Because some of us, we can say, oh, I'm just covered by God's grace. God loves me. God understands me. So I'll do this portion of what his word said, but not this one. It doesn't work that way. That's a pathway to destruction. And so what we see is that this guy, Nehemiah, finds himself in the midst of this, and he hears about the destruction in all Jerusalem, and something begins to be birthed in his heart. It was a vision. He realized that there was a problem and that God had placed a vision in him to bring about solutions, to enact change, to upstart the greatest revival up until this point in all the people of Israel. And so, like Nehemiah, I want you to start to center your heart and your thoughts on this point, that God specifically designed you for something, somewhere, at some time. That God has called you to more than what you know. That God has you specifically for something and someone. Now, I want you to think about that. So over the last couple of weeks, here's what we learned. Week one, we learned that you are a solution waiting to happen. There's a solution specifically in you. And the moment you discover a problem, a, a, a something that's lacking, and you begin to see that it, you just can't shake this thing, that, that, that it just moves you. And the thing about it is nobody else around you notices it. They'll see it, but no one cares about it like you. You're at the cusp of birthing a vision from God. We learned in week two that you are positioned for life. Listen, the pinnacle of success is not when you've done what God has called you to. It's the moment you respond to God. It's when you're in position and you, your answer is, yes, God, that you are most successful. Week three, we learned that when you have a vision from God, you will have to face opposition. And then last week, we learned that when, there, when there's unity, there's always victory and the power of uniting. I want to encourage you to go ahead and go to our website at ctbny.com. Get the app. There's many ways. You can even go on Facebook. Check out uh, the, the last couple of weeks. I, I promise it will bless you. But today, I'd like to talk to you on the subject of the price is right. You remember that show back in the days? Come on down. And people get so excited. And they had to guess the price, right? Well, let me tell you that. Any vision worth pursuing, any vision from God will demand a price, a sacrifice. It will entail risk. It will push you past your place of comfort. It will call upon us to give up that which is good for that which is from God. That which seems good for that which is best. And so... It will create the necessity to leave that which is comfortable and familiar in order to create and embrace the uncomfortable 
and the unfamiliar. Listen, get this. God doesn't call us to something that we know. Get that. We need to stop trying to put God in a box, and we need to realize that God really is the God whose thoughts are higher, are higher, whose ways are higher, whose thoughts are higher, right, who leads us and guides us into the unknown. We need to remember that trusting God really does entail faith. And the thing about it is this, there's nothing blind about faith, and yet we can't see what's ahead until we begin to truly trust God. And so it'll create a necessity to leave that which is comfortable and familiar in order to go to, towards that which is uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And listen, all the while, while we're pursuing this thing, this vision, this, this destiny, this legacy that's birthing within us, that burns deep within, listen, the thing about it is this, that we have to face, we'll face the question constantly, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, how come it's not happening the way I thought? And so, you see, uh, the thing about it is that we, we've all lived in this space of what could be and what is. We've all had to sacrifice something. We've all had to give up something for something better. And see, the thing about it is that God has a purpose and a destiny, a vision for your life. But we have to face the cost associated with it. I'm not talking about you having to pay a price for God to do something for you. But what I am saying is this, that if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to seek the purposes and the vision that God has for our life, we have to understand that it does not come without personal sacrifice. And so this guy, Nehemiah, from the onset of his journey, when we were introduced to him in the Bible, we see that there was a price to pay to fulfill the call upon his life. Listen, as the king's personal cupbearer, every single day, Nehemiah faced the price of possible execution as he dared to convey his displeasure before the king, as he dared to go before the king. When he stepped out believing God, he faced the price of opposition from countless enemies who swore to destroy him and hinder his process. And listen, when he arrived in Jerusalem, Nehemiah faced the price of carrying a big vision with the people so down and out on themselves that they put the bad news bears to shame. And so despite the cost, what we've seen so far in these last couple of weeks is that Nehemiah pressed on. But we got to see why. I want to take you backwards so that we can go forwards. Is that all right? We're going to go back to a portion of Scripture that we've read before. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, I want you to consider the words of Nehemiah as he lays out the vision to the people of Israel who live amongst rubbles. He's, he, amongst rubble. He says to them, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Watch this. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Listen closely. And we will no longer be in disgrace. Get this. These people were so down and out. They had settled for such a low point in life. And Nehemiah gets a vision, and he, he, he announces to them, God wants us to rise up out of this place of disgrace. This is not what God has called us to. 
He goes on to say, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked us and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim on or historic right to it. Listen, the project that Nehemiah and the people faced was no small task. It required ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate sacrifice. And Nehemiah reminds them and us, you can do this because the gracious hand of God is upon you. Because God has not called you to settle in this place of disgrace. See, vision requires the commitment like a parachutist. You ever jump out of a plane on a parachute? No one here, right? Not interested, right? If you were up on that plane, you're not jumping. My point with that is this. It, it, the commitment of a parachutist is akin to this. You don't sort of parachute. You're either in the plane or you're in the air. You either do it or you don't, right? So here's the thing. Vision is a lot like that. If you're going to pursue God's vision, listen closely, you're either all in or you're all out. Let me take that a step further. You're either in or you're not in at all. Let me ask you a question. Are you sold out on this truth that God created you specifically for something? Are you sold out that as you follow God, you'll discover that? Or are you teeter-tottering? Are you half-stepping? Like the old song used to say back in the 80s by a guy named Big Daddy Kane. I was big into the rap scene back then. Ain't no half-stepping. I'm the Big Daddy Kane. Anyway, back to the text. And some of you just can't relate. I get it. It's all right. Thank you, Hasina, for that thunderous, for, for, for rolling with me on that. But listen, you're either all in or you're all out. Now, you got to think about this. The way this story is depicted, it almost seems that the people of Israel were lingering around in the surrounding region, doing nothing until Nehemiah comes along. But that's not the case. This was an agricultural society, and so these people tended to lands. While they were in subjection, they tended to lands, and they paid a high tax to the king of Babylon. And so these people were constantly working, constantly tilling the ground, constantly putting their hands to something. And Nehemiah comes along and he says, I've got a vision from God for our lives. There's something that God is calling us to. We're to build this wall. And as we've seen over the last several weeks, it wasn't really about just building the wall. It was about restoring the hearts of these people. And so here's what happens. Nehemiah says, we, I've got this vision from God. And they had to choose my crops or the wall. The vision that God has for me or my family and my loved ones. 
You don't believe me? I know, I know, we struggle with this. I know this is a touchy issue. But remember, you said you love Pastor Jose. Remember you said that. And I, I pray more importantly that you love God. And that you see the importance of the great reward. So look, uh, it, it, to, to follow the vision that God has for your life will call you to sacrifice. I remember a while back, um, I was sitting in the office and, and there was, uh, Hannah was making some phone calls and she ended up calling someone who, who was uh, volunteering, signing up to volunteer here at, at the church on a Sunday. Now, you got to get this, for the most part, everyone, everyone that serves here serves once a month. Now, there's some Marines in here, the few, the proud, the Marines, they are here day in, day out. They are diehard, gun-ho, let's go to war, right? But, but I, I was listening to the side of the conversation from Hannah's side, and she says, yeah, and it's going to, you know, we're going to ask you to commit one Sunday. And then I heard her stop, and she goes, yeah, I, I, I use the word commit. And then all of a sudden I kind of lean in, and I hear vaguely what this person is saying. and saying, but, you know, well, what if I want to do this, and what if I want to do that? We were asking for a commitment one Sunday a month. I'll tell you why I share that, because the truth is that we live in a society today where we struggle with the word commitment. We struggle with commitment. We struggle with commitment. As you're going to see in a second from the scriptures, not my opinion, commitment, sacrifice, is the open door to finding the will of God. I'm going to show you that in a second, right? And so look, to make matters even worse for this guy, Nehemiah, most of the people lived outside of the, surra- of the surrounding region of, of Jerusalem. So rebuilding the wall meant leaving their homes, leaving their farmlands, leaving their ranches, leaving their work, leaving their families. It meant giving something up. Listen to Nehemiah 4, 21 through 23. It says, so we continued to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. Wait. That don't sound like an eight-hour day. Now, watch this. It gets better. At that time, I also said to the people who have how many men? Every man and his helpers stay inside Jerusalem at night. Wait. That means they didn't go home. So they can serve us as guards by night. And as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Now that's a little too much sacrifice on my part, right? Oh, that was a lot funnier in my head, but anyway. Watch this. Each had his weapon, and even when he went for water. These people were so committed to what God had called them to do that they were willing to pay the ultimate price. They left their homes. Now, now, look, I'm not here preaching and saying you got to go sell your house and be at church at the bridge 24. That's not what I'm saying here. But I want you to see that the, 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 the vision that God had called them to required great sacrifice. And God may not call you to leave your home. But I will tell you this. Whatever God calls you to will require the ultimate sacrifice. It will require the ultimate sacrifice. Listen to the words of Jesus in Mark 10, 29 through 31. He says, truly I tell you, in other words, this is the truth. When Jesus says, truly I tell you, he's saying, I'm not lying to you. 
Yes, you heard me right. He says, truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Watch this. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. I want to hone in on verse 31. Let's just leave that up there. I want you to see what Jesus says. But many who are first will be last. You know what he's talking about? You know what he's talking about? Many who live in first place. I'm first. It's what I want. What I desire. Oh, God, I want to be on a stage. Oh, God, I want to be seen. Oh, God, I want to felt heard. Oh, God, I want to be used. Oh, God, I want to be visible. Oh, God, I want to do this. Sounds like a bunch of ay 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 yays to me. That's a, that's a heartache. That's a life of heartache. And Jesus says this. Jesus, not me. Jesus says, but many who are first will be last. And the last, first. See, when you're following the vision that God has for you, you got to understand something. That it will require sacrifice. But man, the return is worth it. Jesus says, anyone who sacrifices, he, he goes to the heart of the matter. He goes there, your family, your friends, your loved ones, your finances, your, your fields, everything. He says, the person who gives up that, which is most important for the call that I have for their life. And it doesn't mean that God calls you to leave in, in all these areas, but get this. You will sacrifice that which is most dear to you. It'll call you to that. It'll call you to that. But when you, man, when, 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 you, when you let go of that for the greater good, for that which God is calling you to, you'll find that the return is so worth it. Let me share with you a story, uh, a, a true life account, actually, from the life of a woman named Karen Bennett. Uh, on February 3rd, 1990, Karen Bennett and five of her friends left the suburbs and moved into an old abandoned nightclub in one of the most dangerous areas in Atlanta. For the previous six months, they had conducted services on the streets for inner city children. During those encounters, God brought great clarity to the vision he had birthed in Karen during her college days. In time, it became apparent that she was to establish a unique ministry in the inner city of Atlanta. Karen was single, and she was a white female. In other words, she didn't fit into the community that she was going into if you went by appearances. And so at that time, she was 23 years old, and not unlike other Atlanta singles, Karen was saving for her first Gucci bag and a Honda, right? And she lived in the suburbs. But the emptiness that she saw in the eyes of those children was something she could not ignore. As her vision began to take shape, she became convinced that there should be a safe place for children in the middle of what was and continued to be drug-infested, a drug-infested war zone. 
And so Karen and her friends decided to plant a children's church in the inner city. After allowing the idea to incubate for several months, they began looking for a site. Karen says, month after month, we kept going down there until we felt like it was time to have a church building for those kids. They, they weren't starting a church for folks. It was specific for these kids. So watch this. It says, we started looking at old warehouses and old buildings in downtown Atlanta. Finally, we found this one old nightclub that sits right in the middle of 25 major inner city projects. I called the owner up and I said, how much do you want for this place? He said, 2000 a month. Well, he could have told me $2 million, Karen says. I didn't have that type of money. I was on a church salary, which means barely making it, right? She says, I was on a church salary living in an apartment in the suburbs. But on the way home, we each stopped by our banks and cleared out our checking and savings accounts. Get this. We looked for every nickel and dime we could find. That night, we dumped it all into one pot. And between the six of us, we had $52. Karen contacted a couple of churches for support. They were sympathetic but unwilling to partner with her financially. Nobody was interested in supporting a standalone inner-city children's church, whereas most single young ladies would have uh, taken this as a signal to channel uh, their energies elsewhere. Karen saw it as a test of her commitment to the vision. So she called a meeting. Karen says, it ended up that my staff and I got together that night and we just talked about it. It was one of those nights that we had just, we just had to be honest with ourselves. Is this what we were going to do? Or was this one of those things that we were just going to talk about until we were 40 or 50 years old? We decided that we were going to take a chance. Because every once in a while, you've got to do that. The next day, we went to our landlords and we handed in our notices to the leases on our apartments. We couldn't afford to have our nice apartments and have a church for those kids at the same time. Two weeks later, Karen and her unpaid staff moved into the nightclub. I remember that when we moved in, it was 20 or 30 degrees outside, and it was about 20 or 30 degrees inside. We forgot to check if the building had heat before we moved in. Watch this. It didn't have heat, and it didn't have air. It didn't have a toilet, a sink, or a shower. It didn't have anything. We had to drive down to Hardy's down the road to use the bathroom. Our new home came complete with cement floors and 17-inch sewer rats. We called them gophers up our way because they go for you every time you're walking. We kept on trying to get the building upgraded, but nobody believed in us. Sometimes we wondered if we had really heard from God or not. Karen and her staff continued working at their various places of employment. On payday, they would deposit their paychecks into the ministry account. They would, they would each take $20 a week for living expenses. On weekends, they began going door to door in the projects, inviting children to their Saturday services. They made 4,000 personal visits every week. Over time, they won the respect and trust of the parents in those communities. That is how Metro Assembly got its start. By the way, this is now replicated all over the country. 
this ministry right here. But watch how it started and watch how it continues. Today, Karen and her 16 staff members minister to over 3,000 children every week in multiple weekend services. They sponsor a youth service that draws over 200 teenagers. In 1994, they established a private school in the community that stands to this day. Tuition was and continues to be $20 per month to send your kid to school. They have 125 students enrolled and over 500 children on a waiting list. But Karen and her staff have paid a price for the success they're experiencing. Listen closely to this. Metro Assembly has been broken into over 70 times. Several years ago, Karen herself was mugged. Three of their staff were beaten up by teenagers who attended one of their services. Most of the windows on their buses have been shot out, shot out at one time or another. Ten of their children who attended their first church service have been murdered. The, the first funeral that Karen ever performed was for one of her own staff members. Karen's response to all this, if you decide that what God is asking you to do with your life is just too much on you and is just too little, is just a little too inconvenient, then you will never see the miracle that God has called you to. Let me just put it to you this way. Vision from God comes with sacrifice. It comes with sacrifice. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to just talk to you a little bit about how to pay the price. What we need to know about paying this price, about living and sacrifice for the kingdom, for the vision that God has for you. The first thing I want to say to you is that no vision from God comes without a sacrifice. I've said that many times, but now let me show you from Scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen to a definition for worship that many of us have never considered. What you do with your life is worship. Let me take that a step further. What you give up is worship. Now, remember you said I love Pastor Jose. I get it. This is not comfortable. This is not comfortable, but it's worth it. Listen to verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So watch this. Everybody wants change. Everybody wants the vision that God has for them. Everybody wants to get there. Everybody wants to, everybody wants to get to the finish line. But watch this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, you can't do it like everyone else. It doesn't work that way. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It takes something new, something different, something you've never seen, you've never thought, you've never conceived. Listen closely to this next portion because this is important. Then, then, in other words, sacrifice, renewing of the mind, not settling for second best what everybody else does, not following what other people do, but going where God is leading you. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Listen closely. When it talks about testing the will of God, it's talking about being able to exercise it, being able to live it. And so get this. 
Everybody wants God's best. But are we willing to make the sacrifices necessary? When God brought forth the solution for all mankind, get what happened before it. A great sacrifice. What makes us think that we're not called to sacrifice? Ladies and gentlemen, I know that, and, and I'm not worried about my notes right now, so just, just, just flow, just, let's just flow with the Holy Spirit's saying here. I, I understand that for some of us it might be, well, that's easier said than done. That's easy for you to say. You're up there. My entire life is a sacrifice. My time, my thoughts, my energies. Listen, you start talking about laying your life down for people. You start talking about preaching this gospel. You start talking about serving community. And it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. Cost everything. I remember saying exactly what I'm saying right now when we first started and seeing the looks on people's faces going, yeah, good for you. Yeah, 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 I get it, man. Yeah, great vision, man. I know what it is to be in Nehemiah's shoes and stand against everything that comes against you and, and, and not having... You know, everybody excited about what God's called you to. But I also know this, what it is to make the most worthy investment and sacrifice for the kingdom's sake. Because listen, there is no bank that will give you the return that the kingdom does. There's no person, there's no job, there's no career, there's no friendship, there's no relationship. There is nothing that will bring you a greater return. Day in and day out, I'm seeing lives transformed. People rising up, dead coming to life. People who had no hope, now living with hope. People who, who were hurting, now healing. People who were once down, are now rising. Listen, that's your story. That's my story. But understand, it all started with a sacrifice. The sacrifice that Christ made. And the sacrifices that God calls us to make for him. For his kingdom. For his kingdom. I want to just remind you that according to Romans 12, 1, we're called to sacrifice that which is living. It says, a living sacrifice. You know what that word living there speaks of in the Greek? It speaks of that in our lives which is strongest. It speaks of something that consumes and defines our manner of living. Let me just put it to you this way. Here's a good question to consider. What is it that I treasure in my life that replaces God? What is it that I'll give God up for? Oh, you don't understand. It's summertime. It's, it's my time. You know, I need a break. Let me flip the script. You show up next Sunday, and they say, Pastor Jose's not here, and we're just going to just sit here because he needed a break. I guarantee, I, try this one. God, where are you? And God says, I need a break. See how much we like that. See, that doesn't work when we're on the receiving end. 
But we have to understand something. That this life of, uh, of following Christ is one of sacrifice. And, and God is so faithful to return it to us a hundred times over, he says, in this lifetime. In this time. In this lifetime. And even in eternity. And so get this. Vision must be driven by genuine love. Let me show you that in Scripture. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Get what the Bible says here. It says, follow God's example. And then it tells us what the example is. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. Watch this. And gave himself up for us. That's our example, ladies and gentlemen. But what was it that drove God to that point? It was love. You know, when, when I left the ministry that we were in a couple of years back, it was a, it, everything was good. You've heard me say this for those of you that have been around, so I won't, I won't dig into details. But everything was good. Man, everything was successful. Everything we touched was gold. It was God. God was doing amazing things. And for a year, I knew it was time to go. And I struggled with it. And you know why I struggled with it? Because what was most dominant in my thinking wasn't what God wanted. It was what I wanted. It was what I wanted. It wasn't a love for God. It was a love for me. It was a love for myself. And when I finally got to that point where I understood, I said, okay, God, I, I know this is you. And I've been, I've been fighting this. But, Lord, I know. I love you more than anything. And we literally gave it all up. Everything. Everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. There was no income to look forward to. There was no plan in place that said, this is how we're going to make it for the next six months. But watch this. The same God who was faithful to call us was the same God that said, son, I'm going to bless you with a consulting company. You'll make more than you ever made in ministry. You'll fund the beginning of this ministry. And for two and a half years, every week was, okay, How's this going to work? And there it was. Faithful God. Provision. Substance. And little by little, God continues to grow us. But you got to understand that it started when I shifted the love off of myself. I shifted it to God. Ladies and gentlemen, whom do you love? Is it a love for self? Or is it a love for God? You know, you know what's a good indicator of that? Just take, take, take inventory of your time. Evaluate your schedule. Evaluate what you're, what you're building into your life. Look at your calendar. Look at your app. And ask yourself, how much of that is centered around God? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work. 
You know, the Bible says that the man that doesn't work shouldn't eat. Go to work. But, you know, is your life defined by your job or is your life defined or, or is your job defined by your love for God? Well, that went over. That went over well. <laughs> we got to be driven by love, ladies and gentlemen. That's how vision begins. The last two little points that I want to leave you with are simply this, that sacrifice for the sake of God's given vision leads to spiritual renewal. Listen, when you give sacrificially or in some other way abandon your comfort zone in order to pursue that which God has ordained for your life, something happens on the inside. It grows you. It grows you. At that point, you're more than just a follower of Christ. You're a leader growing. When the Jews in Jerusalem rolled up their sleeves and got to work on the wall, God went to work on their hearts. Listen, these people were divided. They were disheartened. They were depressed. And then Nehemiah brings forth this vision, and they take a hold of it. And here's what happens. The people all of a sudden become one. They start to look to God. They start living with one goal in mind. It's all about what God desires. Let me show you an example from another group of people in the scriptures in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6 says this. Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in in the Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of these churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and saw it myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous. Watch this. Entirely their own idea and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Listen, these people lacked resources, but here's what they didn't lack. A love for God. And so because they loved God and they rendered their lives in sacrifice unto God and his kingdom and his calling and his purposes. Watch what happens. All of a sudden, they have something to give. All of a sudden, in the midst of troubles, they're partying. They're rejoicing. They're fulfilled. They're excelling. They're pooling their resources together, and they're making an impact. They're causing a significant difference. But notice that in the midst of this, that God is the one working in these people. These people took a hold of the vision that God had placed in their lives to go to the entire world and share the gospel. And they didn't just give. They gave sacrificially. What's interesting is that if you study this out, many of these Macedonian church people were brand new to this whole idea of following God. They were new to Christianity. 
They didn't grow up in church like some of us. Well, what we were taught is, oh, you know, I just do my $10. I just, you know, say, I just serve once in a blue. I just do a little that I can so that I can pat myself on the back. God, here's what I've done for you. I'm a good Christian. That's not what we're called to. It's not what we're called to. They freely gave them, them, themselves over to God's purposes. Is that how we're living? See, there is a God-ordained vision for your life. But you've got to be willing to pay the price to see it come to pass. Where might God be calling you to sacrifice? I know it's not easy. I know it hurts. I know for some of us, is we have our, our, our boundaries and we say, well, God, anything but that. Can I tell you that anything that takes first place above God is not worth holding on to? First John chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says this. It says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Let me translate that for you. What God calls you to is not a weight that you can't carry. As a matter of fact, it's not even a burden. I'm going to tell you why. Because if he calls you to it, he'll bring you through it. He'll support you through the process. He'll bring resources and provision. You know, one thing that I praise God for is this. I talk to many pastors, but I don't have horror stories. I don't have any horror stories. Really? You're str- really? You're, I, I mean, you're, you're, you're to that extent that you're, really, you're ready to call it quits? I wake up. I'm not saying I don't have challenges. I'm not saying that it doesn't get hard, but I'm going to tell you something. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I wake up and I go, thank you, Lord, for your gifts and callings that are without repentance. Thank you, Lord, for the people at church at the bridge. Thank you, Lord, for the lives that you're you're transforming. Thank you, Lord, for how you're using us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these challenges because we're producing something greater through the faith that we're exercising. Thank you, God. It says this, verse 4, for everyone born of God, watch this overcomes the world. If God calls you to it, just understand this, that God also calls you through it. He calls you through it. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Watch this. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me dig into that a little bit more as we close here and we rise. The one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God is the one known for this. A love for God. A love for people. Listen, disciples, followers of Jesus, they lay everything down. I know this isn't a comfortable topic. I get it. We all have areas in our lives where we treasure something. But there's no greater treasure than the life lived following Jesus Christ, following his purposes and his plans. Listen, I'm not here telling you that I haven't, that, that, that I've had fun all throughout the way, that it's always been peaches and cream. But I will tell you is this, that I look across this room, 
I look at everything that God has done in the lives of people and continues to do. And I focus on the reward. And I look at you today and I realize this. Every sacrifice that God has ever called me to is worth it. Every sacrifice that God calls you to is worth it. So I leave you with this question. A call to action. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. It calls us to be a living sacrifice. To lay it all down. But watch why. So that then we can know what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Do you want what God has for your life? If that's you, say yes. Yes, good, good, I hear you. Yes, if that's what you want, then know this. It's worth the price. The price is right. Don't shy away from it. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you, Lord. Because, Lord, before you, before anything that you've ever called us to, you yourself laid it down. You led by example. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that as we consider the truth of your word, Lord, that, Lord, today it, it promotes and, and it builds us up from the inside out. That it challenges us, Lord, and it compels us to take the next step forward. And to lay that which we hold most dear for that which is great. You, God. Father, there are visions birthing right here, Lord. There are, there are gifts and callings that are, are yet to come alive, Lord. I thank you, Father, that today, Lord, as we respond to your word and we acknowledge the truth, Lord, and we take the step and we say, I'm laying this down in my life. I'm laying these things down in my life. That, Lord, as we do that, you honor your word and you return it to us a hundred times over in this lifetime and in the one to come. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in our lives. It's very possible that there's someone here today and this is all new to you. But the idea that God loved you so much that he would sacrifice it all for you entices you. It draws you out. It makes you realize that God loves you so much. And that he paid a price for something great in your life. And maybe today what you realize is God has a vision for my life, but I haven't been pursuing it. I haven't been living with purpose and on purpose. And today you recognize a need for God. Well, you're in a good place. Whether you're here today or you're watching us online, I want you to join us in this prayer of faith. It's a prayer that acknowledges the price paid on your behalf and mine. A price that overcame sin and removed the stain, the guilt, the shame of sin and guarantees us that we are now in right relationship and good with God. It's one that paves a pathway to move forward in life and see God's best. If you believe that, pray that with us as we pray this with confidence and conviction. Let's say this together. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you paid the price for me because you love me. And from this day forward, I declare that you're my Lord. I declare that you're my Savior. And I call you my God. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Come on now, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. 
Don't leave here without sharing with us your decision. We want to walk alongside you. Now, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for vision and life. And we thank you, Lord, that you do not burden us, but that you equip us and you push us forward towards your very best. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again next Sunday.